Welcome to Beyond the Shelf. I'm Scott Curry with Chef's Best. We gather to talk about the trends in marketing, retail, and production in food and beverage that are shaping the industry. We are joined today by entrepreneur Sydney Chasen. Sydney is the founder of Chasen Dreams Farm, an anytime snack made from U.S. grown sorghum, an ancient grain that is gluten free and never genetically modified. Prior to starting Chasen Dreams, she was an entrepreneur fellow at the Royal Society of Edinburgh, president of the Eurotalk Language Society at Edinburgh Napier University, and worked in finance and operations for Great Minds in Washington, D.C. Sydney, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Scott. Excellent. Well, tell us uh, about Chase and Dreams Farm and, and kind of your background, if kind of a personal story that led to you starting the company. Sure. So I will take it way back. So <laughs> I have been gluten-free since I was seven years old, well before gluten-free is what gluten-free is today. Uh, I like to say it was like back when bread bounced, everything was horrible and tasted like rubber. Um, and I grew up on Chase and Dreams Farm, which was the Chase and Family Farm, and have been snacking and crafting interesting ingredients um, for as long as I can remember. And growing up on Chase and Dreams Farm, it was a really magical place that always inspired innovation and creativity from the simplest things, which is exactly as a company what we aim to do. And it was a place that people could come and be themselves. You know, my mother was an artist. We raised livestock. And, you know, it was a really creative, interesting place. We've named the company after the Chasen Family Farm. Um, Chasen Dreams Farm, we are now the home for better for you, more fun for you, most importantly, clean label snacks, and are making a popped sorghum snack that looks like super teeny tiny popcorn, but entirely corn free. And I've been aware of sorghum grain my entire life because of being gluten free. You know, it was before amazing gluten-free flour blends. It was when you were, you know, buying brown rice flour and white rice flour and sorghum flour and quinoa flour was, you know, just new and trendy then. So I've been aware of it my whole life. Surrounding farms around Chase and Dreams Farm were growing sorghum. So really saw this amazing opportunity to create a brand and a line of products using this totally underutilized grain, um, which is, you know, good for the people and good for the planet. And, and it does seem underutilized. And I, I don't know if this says more about me or <laughs> or more about our culture. But I've never heard of sorghum. Uh, it, it was new to me. And uh, I chuckled as well, as you mentioned, back when bread bounced. It was it was Wonder Bread in our house uh, <laughs> every, every day. But tell me about sorghum a little bit more. What's so special about it? And, and maybe, maybe shed a little bit of light on why is it that I think the general U.S. public might not be that familiar with it? I, as I said, I certainly am not. I'm not sure if I'm representative of everyone, but I, I suspect I might be. Yeah. So um, what sorghum is, sorghum is a U.S. grown ancient grain um, that's never been genetically modified on like 92% of U.S. corn. So it remains largely unchanged in the last 10,000 years. Um, it's naturally gluten-free as well. And what's really unique about it and what we love about it so much is its sustainability properties. So it's a drought-resilient crop requiring no irrigation to grow. So it's got these beautiful waxy leaves that, you know, help retain the moisture and a fibrous root system that mines groundwater. Um, and it's regeneratively farmed. So it's actually help re helping restore the soil um, and take care of our planet than taking from it. And why is it 
not used so much. It's actually used more than you'd think. Now that we're like having a sorghum conversation, you'll read some ingredients and see it all over the place now. Um, you know, first of all, it's an ugly name. People think that it's going to be a gum or something unnatural, and that's not the case. Um, in the U.S., it's been used for livestock, just like, you know, corn and wheat and soy and other things have been. Um, but the, the products that do use sorghum but haven't, you know, nobody's really created a brand for sorghum is gluten-free beer is made with sorghum. There's some liquors and um, whiskeys made with sorghum. And we're starting to see a lot of big food companies like the General Mills of the world using sorghum to put an ancient grain claim front of pack and incorporate it into their products. Uh, where is Chase and Dreams Farm located that grows sorghum? I'm curious where sorghum kind of grows best in the United States. So there's a whole sorghum region. It's the Dakotas, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. We source directly from our farming partners in Kansas. And then the Chase and Dreams Farm headquarters, where the magic goes down, is in San Diego. I'm picturing the, the central plains with the beautiful amber waves of grain. Uh, I've, I've been out there and I've seen the farms. And the only thing I can explain it as is it's like when you're out at sea and you can only see the sea in every direction. It's like you can only see sorghum or cornfields in every direction in the middle of Kansas. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, you said, unless you see it or drive through it, you forget kind of how bountiful the land is out there. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned that to remain largely unchanged. Uh, I guess I guess I'd be in the camp hoping that it, it remains that way, uh, whereas 92% of U.S. corn has been genetically modified. You know, look, there's a lot of information about genetic modification. Uh, I'll, I'll admit I'm as confused as a consumer as anyone. Um, you know, you hear about so-called benign genetic modification, which is just hey, you know, um, modified so that the yield is higher. Uh, and then, of course, you hear about genetic modification where, you know, uh, pesticides are injected within, right? Uh, that type of stuff. But I, I, I'm not sure how, how far you want to step out there in a limb about genetically modified foods, but are some genetically modified foods okay, where some others are a greater concern? Uh, what, how should I approach it as as a consumer, um, maybe if you could dispel some myths and, and about it so that, uh, you know, it, it is, let's be honest, it's very hard to eat 24 seven feed a family, et cetera, uh, and, and completely avoid genetic, genetically modified foods. I'm not even sure if it's possible at this point. Right. Um, but what should I, as a consumer be concerned about given that, you know, the product you're creating, you know, part of the value proposition is the avoidance of that. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's really challenging um, because I understand very much, you know, helping the future of food security and enhancing yields, et cetera. You know, the way that I kind of approach it is if you can have something, you know, easily accessible that hasn't been touched, overly touched by science, you know, we don't really know the long-term effect all of this is going to have on us. And, you know, corn is so subsidized, so genetically modified, you know, as a consumer, I do not eat a lot of corn for that reason. Um, so, you know, if we can keep it, you know, as clean and as untouched as possible, I think that's great. I think you're right in, you know, questioning and saying are certain genetically modified foods better than others or worse than others? 
yes, but I will not be the expert on this podcast to say <laughs> which ones are okay and which ones are not okay. Yeah, it's it, it's tricky to navigate. Uh, you know, it's you, really tricky. I think it's really con- confusing to the consumer. It is. Yeah, uh, I, like I said, sometimes you just hear about it being well. It it's just you know produces higher yield, just more. Uh, you know, corn per stock. And you're like, well, okay, well, that makes sense, you know. Um, but then you hear some of the other, I don't know, more horrifying stories where you say, gosh, do I really, really want to put that in my body considering that that whatever modification is designed to kill a bug. <laughs> right. And what I have to say is that, like, we strongly believe in sorghum for the future of food security um, because of its drought-resilient properties and its ability to be regeneratively farmed that, you know, it, it's not harming the earth. We don't have to modify it in a bajillion different ways to make it, you know, have higher yields. The way that the plant came into the world, like, serves us. So let's not change that. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, on to maybe another topic of confusion, uh, I think, at least in the in the public mind, is about, you know, just gluten-free and going gluten-free. You hear people say, you know, I'm going gluten-free. Is this a good idea for everyone? Is this, you know, I, I've, I've heard a little bit of everything, right? You know, certainly, uh, you know, I have a great, a very close friend that uh, has celiac. I mean, there's just no question about it that cannot even have her food prepared in a kitchen where there's gluten or there's a negative effect for days afterwards. Um, and then you hear other people say, you know, my energy has increased since I've, I've cut out gluten. Um, it's almost turned into like an evil wor- word, yet there is actually, you know, I think anytime we we, we we turn a word into a so-called four-letter or evil word, we also lose sight of legitimate medical reasons uh, that people might be concerned about what that, what that, you know, item or substance is. So is this a good idea for everyone? Should it just be people with certain conditions? What are some of the questions we should ask ourselves about whether or not gluten is kind of having a negative impact on on our day-to-day health? So I've been, like I said, gluten-free since I was seven years old. I do have celiac disease, and I always encourage everyone to get tested for celiac disease. It's a very high percentage. I cannot give you the number off the top of my head right now of people who do have celiac disease. And, you know, for me, that, you know, triggers an immune reaction by eating gluten and inflammation and long-term damage to digestive health. Um, So super, super important and really the only way to live if you have celiac disease. But there are a lot of other, you know, medical conditions that people have, IBS being one of them that, you know, gluten, you know, living a gluten-free diet helps a lot of people. But, you know, I am not the medical professional to say if gluten is good or bad. But, you know, anecdotally, there's a lot of people that, you know, like you said, have higher energy levels not eating gluten, have solved a lot of like their own bloating and stomach pains by avoiding it in their diet, but always encourage, you know, anyone to get tested for celiac disease or other gluten sensitivities. And, you know, just on the note of what you said of, you know, how it's like almost become a fad and that everybody's making this claim. And then there's like, you know, people who medically can't, you know, eat gluten like I can. I mean, it's been great for me. Like we said at the beginning of this, like bread bounced. It was disgusting. (laughs) I have so many more options now. Like pretty much when I was seven years old, I was like, I'm just going to cut carbs. Like this all sucks. But now it's, you know, readily available for anyone. Um, 
you know, there's, I always say like, you know, processed, a ton of processed food and artificial ingredients and all the things as fillers as a replacement to gluten. I don't necessarily know that, you know, artificial replacements are better than gluten, but I, you know, gluten-free products, gluten-filled products, I can't speak here. Um, You know, I think it's like, if you can eat, you know, clean label products that are also gluten-free, there's no damage to your health. So let's talk a little bit about, about the product you've created. It, it, um, it looks a little like popcorn. I think that would be fair to say. Um, however, it, to be very clear, it's corn-free. Uh, you said it's, it's gluten-free, no corn syrup, no, no GMO. Uh, and it's meant to be snacky, you know, you, kind of mentioned it's tiny pops of crunchy deliciousness. Um, so I want to learn a little bit about how and why you decided to create this product. You obviously saw a need in the marketplace uh, from a health standpoint. Um, you, you, you know, you create a lot of different flavors. You've got the cinnamon, the sweet and salty, the cocoa. Uh, what was the development process like? Some people do it in the kitchen. Um, other people are a little bit more intentional and strategic about the development of it, but uh, how did you kind of go from idea to, uh, you know, fun package where, uh, and we'll talk about some of your your availability and re- retail success on it, but um, talk a little bit about how you, you kind of came to creating this product and some of the trial and errors that are inevitable along the way. Yeah, I think what's interesting with us and just kind of how we like started and developing the concept um, is that there's the product need, but there's also the brand need. So we think that delicious and indulgent snacks are packed full of questionable ingredients, unpronounceable ingredients, and genetically modified corn. The snacking category is packed full of corn. Whether it says corn or not, a lot of the ingredients are derived from corn. And better for you snacks, branding-wise, is perceived as boring, bland, and lacking taste appeal, that it's going to be a compromise. And ancient grains certainly have that stigma around them that it's like, I'm going to eat an ancient grain because it's better, not because it tastes good, but I'm doing something healthier. So we're almost putting like a Willy Wonka effect and approach to simple, wholesome, clean ingredients. So how we started developing this, um, of course, it started in a home kitchen. Um, I, you know, created different formulations in my house. Like I said, I've been aware of sorghum my whole life. I knew it popped like popcorn. And really with like the brand intention being really fun. Like we make a product that's a fifth of the size of popcorn. We call it tiny pops of crunchy deliciousness. Like it's lighthearted and joyous. And, you know, the product delivers on that brand promise of like enjoyment. So definitely started in my kitchen, um, you know, smoked out my kitchen many times, realized that it's a little bit more difficult than just throwing it in a pan. Then we scaled from my little tiny baby kitchen into a commercial kitchen where that allowed us to like do an initial test launch um, in select retailers, get in front of buyers, consumers, figure out what's working and what's not working, and then secured some large distribution opportunities and scaled up production. So, you know, what makes our product really unique and what delivers on a lower and lower calorie and lower fat promise is that we air pop the sorghum and then super lightly coat it with a corn syrup free and dairy free crunchy coating made out of tapioca syrup and then dust it with delicious nostalgic flavors. So 
you get these little tiny pops of crunchy deliciousness, which are very similar in taste to, you know, a kettle corn or a sweet popcorn. And, you know, we intentionally made sweet flavors, creating what we call quasi-indulgent snacks, where it's for someone who wants to eat something sweet, but maybe not indulge as far as eating a brownie and not go as healthy as like, you know, shoveling down some crunchy piece of kale. The snacking category, I think if we're honest, is it's highly competitive, right? Um, yet you've been able to, to penetrate and, and get some, get it to retail. What do you attribute that success to? Just, I'm sure it's just some, it can, I can sense perseverance in your voice. Uh, I'm sure that, that played a, a significant role in it, but what, what do you, I mean, you've got to be, you got to be thinking that you're up against thousands of different, you know, options that are out there. Some healthy, some not, you know, there's different colors of packaging. Everyone's trying to gain attention. Um, what, when you had the breakthrough, what, what do you attribute that to? You know, I think a lot of it has to do um, with the brand proposition and how we've positioned the product, where it's like innovation that hasn't gone too far. So in the sense of there's enough familiarity with the consumer that like it's going to taste and be similar to popcorn. It's, you know, our, our brand inspiration is Crunch and Munch, Cracker Jacks and Tiny Size Chiclets. So it's like super fun, nostalgic packaging. Um, and, you know, we bring forth everything that's on trend. So gluten-free, non-GMO, ancient grain-based, low-calorie, low-fat. So we have all of these things that the consumer is actively looking for. And we're introducing a new and innovative ingredient versus trying to innovate in every angle and a little tiny funny tidbit on why we uh, have a good job at arguing for shelf space is that three of our skinny tall bags only take the space of one bag of popcorn. Uh, Okay. So almost picturing it like sunflower seeds a little bit, you know, I I could see how that would be an advantage without needing to concern about, about with Um, where, where uh, let's talk about where people can get it. It, there's chasingdreamsfarm.com, and that's C H A S I N, dreams, so that's plural farm, uh, .com, which you can order directly. Uh, there's, there's, you know, you can get packs of 12s, a little bit of everything on there. Um, what about retail? Yep. So we are in distribution with Kahi and UNFI. So a lot of our stores are natural and independent stores. Uh, in the Midwest, one of our anchor accounts there is Pete's and Jungle Gyms. And in Southern California is Erwan. But you can find us in lots of mom and pop shops across the country. Awesome. What, what's next for Chase and Dreams? More flavors? Just working on distribution? Where's your head at? Yeah, we've got a few fun things going on right now. Um, so in regards to distribution we are launching with a big food service provider so super excited to see the return of people going to offices and college campuses so really our focus is um, expanding distribution in those places so the silicon valleys of the world and um, lots of college campuses Um, you know beyond distribution some exciting things that we've got going on right now um, we are one of nine brands um, in Mondelez International's collab by Snack Futures. 
So we are going through their accelerator at the moment right now. So we've got lots of projects with them underway with consumer research, um, brand projects, you know, optimizing shelf life and food science stuff. We've really fully submerged ourselves in the Mondelez network. Um, and additionally, we're raising a round of investment on Republic, which is super exciting that we can now have our, you know, big business supporters, friends, colleagues, etc., invest as little as $150 into our campaign. Awesome. And, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to note this too. You've, you're at 171% of your, your original goal raise. So uh, product is starting to take off. Obviously, people are believing in it. Um, so congratulations on that. And people can go to the website if they're interested in and uh, becoming an investor. And like I said, there's a minimum investment of, of 150,000 and I'm sorry, $150. Though you'll take 150,000. Happy to do that too. Yeah. It's really exciting that we, you know, we hit that minimum, minimum target in the first week and it just, you know, spoke volumes to like how big our network was that we built and have supported us over the years that they were so keen to put money in so quickly. Awesome. What a, a great way to kind of democratize your your growth. Any entrepreneur that comes on here has to go in the hot seat. So are you ready? Uh-oh. <laughs> um, so, you know, what you know now, what do you wish you had known earlier or what would you go back and tell a little bit, you know, Sydney of a few years ago that you wished you had uh, known? Now, I know that Everything is a learning experience, so you probably wouldn't change anything. But when you started this adventure, what, what do you wish you had known when you had done that, that you learned along the way? Um, I think there's two things. There's a, one fluffier one, maybe one more, a little bit more tangible, but trust your gut and intuition. And I think that's really hard as a first-time founder where, like, every day I'm like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but, like, we're figuring it out as we go. And... I've gotten myself into situations in the past of saying, well, these people know best. They have the 20 years of experience and, you know, still having to trust, you know, those type of people or partners, et cetera. But like founders intuition is like worth everything. And, you know, listening to your body and your gut of knowing what's right and wrong and leading, leading with that, you know, I think, I I think I saw something that was like, be smart enough to read the data intuitive enough to ignore it. And like, mm-hmm. I wish from the get go that I like lived by that and had that plastered on the wall. And, you know, I think what I wish I had a better understanding of in going through things a little bit more tangible is trade spend and the cost of doing business in grocery and what it mm-hmm. takes. You know, we've raised investment appropriately so that we could support that growth. Um, But it's not black and white in how you have to launch a brand. And I think a lot of natural products founders think that they have to go, you know, one certain way into natural food stores um, and work with big distributors. But there's so many different channels in this country that like you can create a successful business direct to consumer, successful business in food service, successful omni-channel business. And, you know, you can write your own playbook and don't have to follow the way it's been done and spend in the way that the industry tells you. 
Great advice. You know, you mentioned trusting your gut. You know, probably some imposter syndrome, as they call it, can sneak in there a little bit. But I think no one, no one knows your baby better than yourself. So um, trust that gut. Probably ignore some of the noise. Um, yeah, you know, be selective about about you know di- divergent tactics and, like you said, uh, was it read the data but be smart enough to ignore it? That's a yes. Be smart a, enough to read the data, intuitive enough to ignore it. That's a great. It's a great. I, I, I need that one on the wall. That's uh, good. And then you said, I, I think you're right. Probably a lot of entrepreneurs that start out figure, you know what? I'll just go top shelf right at at Safeway, but. Uh, the game isn't quite as black and white as that. So, and we have that all the time. Where like we're like, I'm like, oh, the category review is coming up. I'm like, you know, we always say, stop, pause. Why are we doing this? Like, why do we want to be on X retailer shelves? Like, what does that do for the brand? Other than say that we're in X amount of doors, it actually can be more damaging and costly than finding an alternative way. So I encourage any founder or someone starting up, you know, a company is just get creative and crafty and, you know, you challenge the status quo in your product, challenge the status quo and how business is done. Awesome. Well, I encourage people to check it out. Again, it's chasendreamsfarm.com. Tasty, healthy for your snack with approximately 640 pops per serving. So you're going to have a lot of fun when you're eating as well. (laughs) Uh, adults and, and kids alike. Uh, you can also follow on Instagram at chasen underscore dreams underscore farms uh, as well. And, uh, and said, if you're interested in, in learning a little bit more and investing, you can go to the website and right at the top there, it takes you to Republic where you can um, see the various investment levels as well. So, uh, well, I want to thank you very much for, for joining, Sydney. Um, always great having entrepreneurs that are successful. Uh, you have, I think, just as much energy as, as your product in terms of it's kind of a vivacious brand and, and fun to eat. Uh, so we wish you the best of luck as you, you keep expanding and, and uh, growing. But it sounds like you're going to do it in a smart, intentional way. And you've got uh, even, even more minds behind you now as kind of part of an accelerator program. So expect. Uh, Expect to see Chasing Dreams in a lot more locations uh, pretty soon. Awesome. I really appreciate it, Scott. You're very welcome. Thanks again, Sydney. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Shelf, presented by Chef's Best. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. For more details about all of our episodes from inside the ever-changing food and beverage industry, visit chefsbest.com.